Welcome to On The Go, an on-road transportation podcast with Clean Cities. In this episode, we're talking about systems that connect electric vehicles to buildings, the electric grids, and other power infrastructure. To kick us off, let's introduce our hosts. I'm Molly Putzig. And I'm Joanna Allerhand. Today, we will be joined by two guests with expertise in EV integration with power infrastructure. They'll be discussing current research in this area, potential applications, challenges, and opportunities. Here to tell you more are Andrew Mainz and Jesse Bennett from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Hi, this is Andrew Mainz. I am NREL's Chief Engineer for EV Charging and Grid Integration Activities. Um, I've worked on um, strategic oversight for NREL's EV uh, grid integration research um, in this role. Been at the lab for over seven years, and uh, since uh, then, have focused on multiple efforts in smart charge management, uh, vehicle to grid integration, and evaluation of systems, um, and um, charging from the megawatt scale all the way down to level one, level two charging. Hi, my name is Jesse Bennett. I'm a research engineer at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. My background in electrical engineering, and I'm currently working on the intersection of transportation and the grid, considering the charging requirements for vehicles, electric vehicles, and the potential impacts they will have on the grid. I do most of my work supporting the Federal Energy Management Program and looking at electrification opportunities for the federal fleet, as well as um, researching the potential grid impacts of EV charging with the Vehicle Technologies Office. Prior to my time at NREL, I was a utility standards and specifications engineer um, out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, looking at the potential design and implementation requirements for distribution equipment. Thank you, Andrew and Jesse, for joining us today. So I normally work in the vehicle and infrastructure space. So before we get into discussion of EV integration with power infrastructure, let's talk more about the grid. What do we need to know about the grid that we might not already know? That's a great question. And in regards to transportation, I think we're probably all aware that electric vehicle adoption is continuing to expand every year. And that's with a higher number of electric vehicle sales, but also an increasing number of different vehicle models. It's also beginning to expand into larger vehicles. And all of this means that we're going to see much more of the energy needs for transportation being supplied from the grid. Um, and primi primarily, that electricity is going to be supplied through electric vehicle supply equipment or EV. Yeah, so if we think about the charging basics, you know, essentially vehicles consume electricity from the grid like any other device, a toaster or a, a laptop computer, um, but they store it on a, what we call a traction battery uh, for the vehicle. And so this battery holds on to the energy um, while the vehicle's disconnected from the grid and driving around. Um, and so what's interesting about this is that if you think about it, a light duty vehicle uh, uses something on the order of 400 watt hours to drive a mile uh, and a, a heavy duty like class eight tractor big truck on the road could use somewhere around two kilowatt hours of electricity so this is kind of thing if you think about a laptop somewhere around the order of running a, a 50 watt laptop for eight hours a day in a light duty case or running it for an entire week five days of work just for a mile for each of those vehicles. And so the total amount of energy that these vehicles have is, is something that we can use to support the grid or support other activities through bi-directional power flow. Uh, 
in order to you know push push the power to a load as it's needed. And we kind of refer to this as vehicle to everything or V2X. And when you're considering all of the energy needs for these vehicles, um, I think, like you said, Andrew, um, thinking about energy flowing to back to the grid from a vehicle or even just simply charging it and getting energy from the grid, um, it's really important to think about the grid interconnection piece. Um, and that's really the point at the grid in which um, all of the loads that say your house or your building connect with the utilities infrastructure or the main distribution lines. Uh, most often this is referred to as a point of interconnection. And at your house, you might think of it as just where your electric meter is. Um, but something to consider here is really the power limitations of that interconnection piece and really how much power can flow in either direction is really important. Um, and there's sometimes limitations in how much power you could consume at one given site. Um, and one great way to mitigate challenges with those power limitations, um, because maybe you want to install more chargers than a site could potentially support. Um, a great way to limit that is through managed charging to coordinate loads in a way that do not exceed those power limitations. However, managed charging can also take advantage of some basic um, grid programs such as time of use rates that reduce the cost of electricity at periods when electricity and energy are cheapest to produce. Um, and therefore you can coordinate charging loads and how you get energy into your vehicle in a way that actually reduces the overall cost for transportation. And so if we think about more complex um, services for the grid or grid services, uh, two that really come to mind are frequency support and voltage support. Frequency support is a, a service that balances the difference between how much electricity is generated at any one given moment and the amount of load that is using it. So on the grid, we have to we have to keep that in balance. There isn't a lot of energy storage uh, in the system. And so frequency support is a way to to keep the system in balance in that way from like a wide area uh, perspective. The other uh, grid service voltage support, um, it allows on more of a distributed or distribution line um, a way to you know, push up the voltage of the uh, of the system in given areas if they're under heavy load. And so as the as the grid is heavily used in an area, the voltage will drop. And this will keep it in the range that we would that our devices expect uh, for them to function properly. And how vehicles might do this is through bi-directional flow or something we call reverse power flow, where the uh, charger, instead of taking that energy in as a load, will push it back onto the grid or onto a load, um, utilizing um, the the same uh, converter or charger uh, that it uses to uh, to fill the battery with with energy. This can lead to uh, some concerns about what we refer to as backfeeding or where we're pushing power uh, through the meter in the opposite direction um, and can be a concern in times in which the grid might be out. Um, there might be an outage of some sort. Uh, when you think about the complexity of pushing power back and forth, frequency support or voltage support, there's a lot of ways that vehicles uh, can interact with the grid. And so a, a 
the aggregator is a, an entity that that takes into account the needs of the utility, the needs of the grid, uh, and the needs of the EV EV operator, and balance puts those in balance across many different vehicles in a distribution territory or a utilities region of service. Okay, that was all really helpful background. Now let's dive in. We hear a lot about different options in this space. So there's vehicle to building, V2B, vehicle to grid, V2G, even vehicle to load or V2L. Let's start with a brief overview. Overview. What is vehicle to X? So, well, we'll start with the simplest case, uh, V1G, also known as smart charging. Um, so this is a, a simple um, control approach in which you know, the EV responds to um, some uh, control, either from an aggregator or from some other location. And basically it just reduces its charging load, pauses, uh, restarts its load at a different time. And so, it accomplishes what the, the grid is looking for or the building is looking for or other uh, devices are looking for uh, simply by um, throttling the speed at which it charges uh, or by uh, pausing its charge. In, in addition to smart charging, I think there's a, another common feature that a lot of newer EVs are providing now, and that's more vehicle to load or V2L. And that's where the vehicle is able to take advantage of the energy within its traction battery to power some small equipment or power tools that are directly connected to the vehicle. Um, and this is just some small equipment that typically takes advantage of some of the energy within the vehicle's battery and are most common in worksite applications where you might not be near the grid in order to provide some electricity to some of those equipment. And then I guess maybe moving up in complexity, uh, vehicle to building is uh, probably the next one that um, falls in this category. It, um, it's usually uh, bi-directional charging, uh, allows for um, the, uh, the vehicles to provide um, uh, power back to a building in say an outage situation. Um, it would require that the, uh, the building uh, has been uh, the electric uh, breaker panel, if you will, or, or other connection to the building has a, uh, a switch to allow it to disconnect from the grid uh, so that you're not pushing power back onto the grid uh, during uh, an outage, uh, and so then the vehicle could uh, provide power to uh, the building. Could be uh, also sometimes called vehicle to home, uh, um, as well if it's a smaller uh, building case. And so essentially, this is kind of a, a simple microgrid, um, but the uh, the vehicle has to you know, provide the voltage source uh, to the building. And I think maybe um, the the largest or maybe most complex system here is when you take all these concepts and you apply them in a, a vehicle to grid scenario where the power is intended to flow back into the grid. And this is uh, um, typically applied for a number of reasons, but most often for ancillary services and providing support to the grid for, such as frequency support or really even taking advantage of um, TOU rates and buying, uh, purchasing energy when it's um, lower and then selling it back whenever it's higher to um, take advantage of that difference in price. Okay, so a lot of different options for what your vehicle could be talking to. Uh, taking that down to the vehicle level, what vehicles could be used in these applications and how would you determine if your fleet could participate? Well, I think one of the first things that you'd want to figure out for your vehicle is um, you know, understanding how often it's parked and available for a V2X service. 
Um, so you know, typically we would refer to that as the dwell period. And so really we want to know, um, we, we, would, we would be looking at vehicle operations in which uh, maybe you have uh, 12 hours of parking time, but you only need about eight hours or six hours of time uh, to fully recharge the vehicle. And so this way you could, you know, take advantage of that extra time the vehicle is sitting uh, unused um, and you know, discharge or stop the charge uh, within that period uh, and then complete the charge uh, you know, before it needs to get on to its next, um, its next opportunity to uh, provide a transportation service. And I think that really maybe leads into some of the um, operational updates that might be needed for fleets to provide these services if you're going to be taking advantage of the vehicle's dwell period um, to provide these grid services or um, bi-directional power flow, you need to really have a system and a combination of fleet management software and charging management software to ensure that the charging session is designed to provide the vehicle all of the energy it needs by the time its dwell period is over and look at the overall flexibility in that charge session to determine when that reverse power flow is capable of occurring while also ensuring that the vehicle is fully charged at the end of its um, dwell period. So we know what kind of connections we're making with vehicles and what vehicles or fleets might be involved or what we want to consider with that. But what does that look like in the real world? What are the outlooks for the near-term applications? Well, I, I think currently there are quite a few V1G applications that are operating in fleets today. Uh, most notably, all smart charging um, can provide some benefits to both the grid and the fleets, um, as well as the local building operations by ensuring that the scheduling of charge sessions is done so in a way that can mitigate peak demand or uh, mitigate equipment upgrades to support EV charging, and also even take advantage of time of use rates by charging vehicles when their energy is the lowest. Yeah, and I think, you know, building on that, you know, we do see that uh, vehicle to load um, use of, say, 120 volt outlets in vehicles is pretty common. We've, you know, we've actually seen that in uh, conventional vehicles, uh, but we'll probably see more applications of um, small vehicle to load EVSE or ports within the vehicle uh, that'll allow for uh, energy to be extracted from the traction battery. Um, I think this is really going to be a common um, application if you think about power tools at a job site or, you know, maybe just the power devices that you would use uh, while on a camping trip. And I think taking that concept even further, um, as vehicle to load becomes more popular, uh, I think vehicle to building seems like a, a great transition to expand those capabilities to support building operations in addition to just the nearby uh, power tool requirements. And, and vehicle to building can really help to mitigate demand charges even more so than smart charging may be able to by actually having that reverse power, power flow reduce the net consumption at the point of interconnection with the grid. But you can also look at the opportunities for supporting building loads during a grid outage by islanding the building from the grid and taking advantage of the energy within the vehicle's traction battery to support lighting loads and other emergency um, loading requirements. Additionally, in a vehicle to building application, you'll need to make sure that your system is islanded from the grid in the event of an outage. Um, and that'll be done so with a disconnect switch that must be installed per most utility interconnection agreements. 
And this will ensure that while you're powering your building um, during an outage, you're not backfeeding any of that electricity into the grid. Um, otherwise, that would create um, an unsafe environment across the utility. And one thing to consider in this situation is that um, now that the, the vehicle is the only source, it has to maintain voltage uh, for the device, the other devices, the other loads uh, connected to the building. And so uh, other needs around uh, ensuring that you don't exceed the capacity of the vehicle, that you can provide enough power uh, from a control standpoint, and then this ability to um, act as a voltage uh, setting device um, may require additional capabilities uh, from the vehicle. Um, so some that can provide V2G in a grid tied uh, situation may not be able to provide it in a, a grid isolated or an islanded case. Yeah, and then I, you know, I guess that gets us to the uh, the end state, the holy grail, uh, uh, V2G, where, where now we're, we're pushing power back onto the grid. Um, and you know we're using um, this as a, a way to you know provide um, energy for utility needs as a, as a, 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 a alternative to perhaps intermittent uh, generation sources. Um, but we're also seeing that in this case we would see um, that there might need to be some changes in how utility programs allow for incentives for these grid services uh, that the EV could provide. Um, you know, similar to what we've seen with, you know, PV and net metering and TOU rates um, for some perhaps arbitrage of energy um, across those rates, you know, really I think, you know, kind of the end state here is when, you know, we're able to not only affect the local use um, of electricity, but then, you know, kind of push that further out into the grid. That's great background on the technology and its potential applications. What are some of the technical challenges with implementation? Well, I, I think one of the first considerations is when you're talking about the bi-directional flow of power and you may be having reverse power flow back into the grid, you need to really consider the interconnection between the building and the utility grid. And there's a couple of different pieces of equipment that are really important at this location to ensure safer operations for both the building and the grid. And number one would be the transfer switch. Um, and that's something that would be needed in a vehicle to building environment. If you're going to be supporting the building loads during a grid outage, you're going to need to island yourself from the grid. And that's best done through a transfer switch to ensure that while you're powering the building, you're not going to be providing power to the grid in the event of an outage. Uh, you also, though, in the event that you're going to be intending to have that power flow back into the grid in a V to G situation, you'll need to have a net meter to ensure that you're going to be measuring the reverse power flow um, in conjunction with all of the loads that are going to be going to the building. Yeah, and I think there's some additional hardware you know, requirements that are going to be needed. And in particular, uh, you know, this discussion for a, a bi-directional charger um, you're going to need, uh, or EVSE rather, uh, you're going to need, uh, which uh, stands for electric vehicle uh, supply equipment, uh, you're going to need to um, have those devices installed in locations um, and be able to uh, communicate back to the vehicle. Um, and so whether it's an AC bi-directional charger or a DC bi-directional charger uh, is really going to change uh, the operation of uh, these systems. So. In the example of a DC system, um, you could use current uh, vehicles through the uh, typically known as the fast charging port uh, in 
take that DC energy off of the vehicle. Um, and so you really only need to upgrade or, or, or have a bi-directional uh, EVSC. Um, but if you consider an AC uh, EVSC, uh, that power flow actually has to come uh, from the vehicle into its onboard charger um, and then be pushed onto the, onto the vehicle. And so, you know, where we stand today, um, very few, if any vehicles uh, on the market have uh, onboard bi-directional uh, chargers that would support uh, uh, transfer from an AC standpoint. Um, and then on the DC side, there are vehicles that, that will allow for export um, via some of the ports, but there's still some work that needs to be done um, uh, for the communications uh, to, uh, to allow for that. And so uh, there's certainly some work that needs to be done in uh, developing these chargers uh, and some of the communications between the two. And I think considering both the interconnection and the equipment hardware really brings us to some of the safety standards that will be in play here. And most often the interconnection is governed by the National Electric Code and specifically section 625 talks about the installation of electric vehicle supply equipment or EVSE. And when you're talking about the bi-directional flow of power, you're going to be looking at a couple different safety standards and UL certifications that ensure that equipment and hardware are built to perform as they were intended. Um, for example, UL 1741 and 9741 are both some safety standards that would deal with the bi-directional flow of power um, or the single directional flow of power to EVSE. And so then, then we get kind of to uh, one of the maybe common questions that we always get in, in this discussion about V to G or V to X is you know, the thought about battery life. Um, you know, what's this going to do to the vehicle? And so um, certainly, you know, as we uh, as batteries um, are cycled more, uh, there will be some aspect of their battery life that is degraded. Now, of course, you know, the real question here is, is how does that relate to uh, the typical service life of the vehicle and how long the battery would have lasted otherwise. And so, you know, there is a difference in how uh, in how batteries age versus, versus what is known as uh, cycle life aging uh, and calendar life aging. You know, batteries will age if they're, they're just uh, sitting unused. So there is kind of a balance that needs to be understood um, in the uh, how the vehicle is intended to be used and how the addition of some of these uh, functionalities for V to G or V to L or V to B, how that additionally degrades the vehicle. Um, and so it, in some cases there, there may be, um, you know, fine to, to discharge the vehicle and the battery life, uh, the battery uh, would uh, degrade to the point to where uh, it's acceptable at the end of the life of the vehicle. Um, when you would you know, trade it in and get a new car or, or, or what have you. And so um, there, there really is uh, some work that needs to be done to kind of understand these implications. Um, and you know, not all uses of these vehicles uh, for V to G or V to L uh, are really equal. Um, I, I guess one of the other important notes to, to make here is that there really is some uh, need to be done on how this would impact the warranty of the vehicle. Um, you know, what equipment is approved uh, for uh, this sort of operation and whether V2G is actually considered. And so um, I think, you know, as we see this uh, technology progress, uh, there's going to be uh, more thought put into how uh, vehicle manufacturers consider this in their warranty. 
And you've touched on this, but can you expand on what are some of the market challenges? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we're going to see, um, you know, there's really going to need to be more investment in infrastructure um, if uh, we start to see specifically a lot of E2G because, um, you know, it's not just uh, flexibility within uh, the period that the vehicle is charging, but you, know, you could imagine for larger range vehicles that it might be fine for them to discharge in one location and never charge uh, and then go to the next location, but and then charge there. But that would require more um, EVSC to be installed throughout uh, the, uh, the built environment to allow for this additional flexibility uh, from a location to location standpoint. So certainly I think uh, investment in infrastructure and how uh, that value is brought back um, from these use cases is certainly an area that uh, we're going to see some challenges on, from a market standpoint. And I think in addition to that, um, not only does the infrastructure deployment needed, but also just market options there. While there are some uh, manufacturers developing and offering bi-directional EVSE, it is not yet common in the marketplace. And one of the reasons for that might be that there are not a lot of incentive programs that utilities put together to um, push for this bi-directional capabilities. Fleets are going to need to invest in this additional infrastructure, as we mentioned before, to ensure safe operating environments. And in order to justify that investment, the fleets are going to have to benefit in some way from the additional services they're providing to the grid. And that will have to come through the offering of different bi-directional programs, such as demand mitigation or new utility rates that will support these types of operations. And looking forward, what would be needed to overcome these challenges? So I think maybe one of the reasons there are not a lot of incentive programs from the utilities is there's not a lot of knowledge about the operational use cases within fleets and how often these vehicles will be available as an asset to the utility. Um, as we are going through the process of electrifying fleets, we need to really understand not only their driving patterns, but also their charging patterns. And that will really help us to understand when these vehicles could be an asset to the grid and or their buildings. Um, and that will just come through deeper penetrations of electric vehicles throughout the fleet and throughout the country. So we understand their not only their transportation needs, but also their dwell periods and charging requirements. Yeah, and I mean, really, as you're saying, Jesse, uh, the understanding of that, I think we get a lot of that knowledge from, you know, a focus on the you know, pilots or demonstration activities in these early days. We really need to understand um, how uh, certain use cases may be employed. Uh, what are we learning uh, from the uh, technologies as they stand? I'm sure there will be will be challenges um, associated with communications and operational constraints. And so really, um, I think a focus um, on pilots and demonstration activities is probably going to be one of the early things that we could do uh, to try to figure out uh, some of these um, you know, unknown unknowns. So I think in addition to understanding all the pilots and demonstration projects, I think as fleets are electrifying, the transition to from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles is not trivial for fleets. It's a, a challenging process. So I think that 
it, adding this additional consideration um, and the potential reverse flow of power from the vehicle to the grid further complicates this process. And I think that as fleets are electrifying and as they're farther along in the transition to electric vehicles, the idea of considering bi-directional charging for your fleet and to support grid operations, I think will become a much more important topic of discussion. Interesting. Yeah, I also wonder about like there's probably some some thought that needs to be uh, put into uh, competing technology such as stationary storage. I I think that uh, you know the, the primary mission of a, a vehicle is is to transport goods or people, um, and so uh, looking at some of these other technologies um, that might be competing with this approach um, is certainly something that we'll need to take a look at just to understand like. You know, as that as those markets develop, um, as secondary life perhaps for battery uh, use uh, occurs, um, how those might compete with some of these uh, uh, V2X uh, technologies. But you know, of course, there's it's always a good camping case uh, for uh, for V2L. Great, thanks so much, Jesse and Andrew, for joining us and sharing your expertise. Any final thoughts you want to share before we close? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would say that um, uh, you know, V2X is uh, is certainly a, uh, a a growing discussion around you know how we can get additional utility out of these vehicles, and so you know, it's certainly very interesting to see uh, the ingenuity of uh, some of these approaches, um, and so it'll be uh, kind of interesting to see how you know the market evolves, how companies respond, the availability of of some of this equipment. Uh, maybe provides a additional uh, additional use case uh, for electric vehicles. Yeah, I would say I'm also really excited about the opportunities and value that bi-directional charging can provide both fleets and the electric grid. But I also am really excited just about fleet electrification in general, and I understand how the bi-directional flow of power can complicate the transition to electric vehicles. So I wouldn't want fleets to dive in too quickly while there are some of these challenges, um, but I'm really excited about all of the opportunities that electrification will provide. Wonderful, thanks so much to you both. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew and Jesse, for joining us and sharing the current research about integrating EVs into power infrastructure. Stay tuned for future episodes on ethanol, electric school bus resources, and best practices for including community engagement in transportation projects. That's it for this episode of On The Go. As we wrap up, I want to thank the U.S. Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office and our team here at the National Renewable Energy Lab for their support. Also, a big thanks to Brittany Conrad and Vern Slocum, our podcast editors. We couldn't do it without you. If you want to learn more about Clean Cities and its partnerships to develop affordable, efficient, and clean transportation options to accelerate the development and widespread use of a variety of innovative transportation technologies, visit cleancities.energy.gov.